Would you pray with me? Uh, God, we invite you to be with us as we study your words in Scripture. Um, What a blessing it is. We sometimes forget because the Bible is so available to us. Um, But here we have this message directly from you to us to fortify our souls, to strengthen us, to, to guide us, to instruct us. And it's all because you, you love us. And so we thank you for this written word. We thank you for Jesus, the living word who makes all of this possible. And we invite you to pour out your spirit in us and upon us. And just meet us, Lord, as we look at these wonderful words in scripture. And learn what it means to partner together in the gospel. Would you teach us in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. So we've been talking about um, the message of the book of Philippians, which is that true joy is really found in gospel partnership. We've been entitling this series Joy Spring, which comes from a song by uh, the jazz trumpeter Clifford Brown, who actually wrote this song for his wife, uh, the relationship that they had was his joy spring. And, and what Paul's saying in the book of Philippians is the relationship that we have with Jesus and with one another is our true joy spring. Such that, you know, it's not the absence of suffering in life that brings joy so much as the presence of, of genuine partnership that brings joy. You can think of of Paul and the people that he's writing to. Um, You can have all kinds of suffering, just like the Philippian church was being persecuted uh, in the city of Philippi. There were all kinds of uh, military uh, soldiers, retired soldiers, and they had this kind of emperor cult. And so when these, when these Christians come along and they're saying, we're, we worship a different king, we're worshiping King Jesus, they were offended by that. And so they began to persecute the church. And so Paul is, is writing to them. And then Paul himself is sitting in prison uh, during the writing of the book of Philippians. Uh, and yet he just exudes this kind of joy. There is, there is a sense in which it's more important that we have relationship, deep and wonderful relationship, even that we avoid any kind of suffering. Now, you can test this in your life. I want you to think about a time when maybe you seem to have everything, but there was, there was some strong interpersonal conflict that was clouding all that you felt and thought about your life. Or maybe think about a time when you were going through a real great difficulty, but there was this team of people that was walking with you through that difficulty. And in the midst of it, you still experienced this tremendous sense of joy because you had their partnership. In fact, I think that uh, given the opportunity, we would, we would all choose to have wonderful relationships, even if it meant some suffering and some difficulty, then then to have everything seemingly that we need from a material perspective, but to be isolated. Relationships are just that important. In fact, um, just a little kind of what's ahead for us as a church, uh, in the next few weeks, three weeks from now, we're going to start a new series called Yearning with Affection which is a phrase coming from the life of Paul. And we're going to look at how Paul yearned with affection for many of the people that he wrote to in the letters in the New Testament. And we're doing this to really explore the power of relationship. And as we come back together 
right? We're going to be coming back together. And there's going to be probably, I know, one step, two steps forward, one step back as we get back together. But we have an opportunity to reset our relationships. And so I'm really excited to enter into this new series in a few weeks where we talk about the power of relationship. Relationship is absolutely critical. In fact, when you look at the life of Paul, we look at the book of Philippians and you see one of the key phrases uh, in the book of Philippians, which is that the Philippians will, as they follow Jesus, they will, they will shine like lights. And the partnership that we have with one another in the gospel is part of what enables us to shine like lights. Think about this. When Paul's writing the book of Philippians, he's, he's sitting in, I presume, a dark and dingy cell. And yet, within that darkness, Paul is shining. When you read the book of Philippians, you see over and over again phrases like joy and rejoice. I rejoice in the Lord. And he talks about his love for the Philippians um, and, and the grace that just sort of exudes from Paul. Paul, sitting in that dark prison cell, is a light radiating out. In fact, he's radiating out all the way through the 2,000 years nearly to us. That's how brightly Paul is shining in the midst of his darkness. And part of that is his partnership with the Lord and with his gospel partners, the brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, this week we're going to focus a little bit more on the horizontal element. Last week we focused on the vertical element. Remember we studied last week this really important verse where Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And what he's referring to is the, the importance of his relationship with Jesus Christ, that vertical kind of relationship to enable him to move through seasons of plenty and seasons of want. And, and this week we see sort of the horizontal portion of it in the text that was read for us, the power and the importance of the horizontal relationships with the other brothers and sisters in Philippi and then where he is, where he's in prison, the importance of those relationships to enable him to experience the joy in the midst of suffering. So there's a few things that we're going to do today. We're going we're to do this in three different moves. We're going to look at partnership as poetry. We're going to look at partnership as a kind of a posture. And then I want to confirm to you that this kind of partnership that Paul shows us is actually possible because of what the Lord is doing in our lives. So let's dig in and we'll start with this idea that partnership is poetry. Now, some say that Paul, and in this text that we're looking at, is giving a thank you without a thank you. It's a thank you without a thank you. In verses 11, 17, and 18, he seems to be saying both, thank you for this gift, and you may have noticed this as you were listening, thank you for this gift. I don't really need the gift, but thank you for the gift. You see that tension in, in the text. He maybe is wanting to avoid communicating. You know how we do this sometimes. We don't want to communicate expectation. Like, like thank you for this gift, and I can't wait till you send me to the, for the next one. Right? He's, he may be trying to avoid communicating any sort of expectation uh, for what would come. But I think there's something much deeper that's going on in this interaction between Paul and the Philippian church here. You see it in verse 17. He says, this is that, that sort of maybe strange phrase, not that I seek the gift. So it's the thank you, but I, didn't, I, I don't seek the gift, but I seek the fruit 
If you're underlining in your Bible or highlighting on your, your screen, um, highlight that word fruit. But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul wants to make sure they understand. They really absorb deeply within themselves that the greatest thing about their gift is not the material exchange, right? Paul has already said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So the greatest thing about their gift is not the material exchange. It's what it says about the quality and the character and the nature of their relationship, of their partnership together. It's poetry, not math, right? It's, it's, It's not, well, the Philippians have things they have an abundance. They are on the positive side. Paul's on the negative side. So they send Epaphroditus as a messenger to bring from their wealth and to give to Paul in his need. And so the scales have been balanced. That's not what Paul is going for as much. He, he, he's sort of come to the place where, well, whether I have or not, you know, God's going God's gonna to take care of me. I'll be able to make it through. What's exciting to Paul is more the poetry rather than math. The poetry of the relationship. This generosity that the Philippians have shown towards Paul is a marker of the quality and the depth and the sweetness and the aroma of their relationship together. In fact, Paul himself gets pretty poetic here. And I'm going to quote from the CSB because I like the translation in verse 18. But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. See, it's it's the poetry more than the math that excites Paul. You ever walk into a kitchen or maybe you go around the side of somebody's house and you open the gate and they're having a barbecue and, and the smell begins to hit you or you walk into your favorite restaurant and you've become accustomed to that smell and, and as you open the door, this beautiful aroma just sort of wafts into your nostrils and you're there with other people that you love and together you're sharing this experience of the sweet aroma that comes from cooking. When we don't do the sacrifices, right? But back in the day when they were doing those sacrifices, part of the beauty of what they experienced together was the aroma, right, of the sacrifice. And there were all different kinds of sacrifices and they each had their unique kind of aroma. And together they experienced the sweetness of it. And what Paul is saying is that partnership becomes particularly sweet when it's intensified by generous giving and receiving. See, they enter into this relationship together where there's giving and there's receiving. And what Paul is saying is that that kind of quality of relationship, which goes beyond just acquaintance, goes beyond just being in the same community together, but there's actually a mutual exchanging, a sacrificing for one another and a receiving, and then it's returned. That kind of relationship, the, the wonder of it, the beauty of it, isn't the math of sharing things. It's atmospheric. It's the aroma of community. And when somebody comes into a community like that, and they, they, they can 
sense the intangible quality of beauty and generosity flowing from one person to the next, then it has this appealing impact on them. They, they say, we all would say, I want to be a part of that. And then Paul says it even goes to another level. Not only do we experience the wonder of it on the horizontal plane, but this blesses the very heart of God. See what he says in the text? A fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. So, so this wonderful smell is emanating outward, but then it's rising up to bless the heart of God. The flow of love is not only a fragrant offering for those in the midst of it, it rises as a sacrifice and pleasing to God. So, so partnership of the kind that Paul's talking about here in the book of Philippians is, is a kind of poetry. It's a kind of beautiful poetry of, of community. And Paul helps us to see beyond just the mathematical exchange of goods to the depth and the quality of relationship. And isn't this what we want for Solano Community Church? See, part of what we're doing today is we're being invited into a kind of a partnership that goes beyond maybe what we've experienced or beyond what we, we oftentimes find in the world. God is calling us as a community to something special, to a kind of poetry of relationship. Partnership is poetry. But partnership is a posture. This is the second thing I wanted to say. And by posture, I mean a stance that we choose to take towards one another. It's a stance we choose to hold in relationship to one another. Look with, with me at a few of the verses. Chapter 4, verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. The word translated share has uh, is its root, uh, you know, maybe the word that you've heard is this Greek word koinonia, fellowship. But it's an in, there's an intensification of that word because there's added on to it the word with. So as if fellowship didn't already communicate with, you know, the word with is added on the front of it. So it's like with fellowship is what it refers to. But when you put those two together and you look at the way that it's used throughout, you know, uh, other places with the Greek language, what you discover is that that, that word means, uh, expresses these kinds of ideas. Um, to take part in, or, or this one, this is what I really love, to mix oneself up in a thing. So that word means to mix some oneself up in a thing, right? To choose to enter in to something that may be complicated or difficult or unusual or involved, right? Or that, and that's one of the other ways is to involve oneself rather than to kind of walk away and say, I'm not going to get involved with that. It's to involve Oneself. So it's to t take part in, to mix oneself up in a thing, to involve oneself. It's a choice, it's a stance, it's a posture towards other people. Look with me in chapter 4, verse 10. This is going back a little bit. Remember uh, last week, we, focused, we really focused on 11 through 13, and I told you that I was sort of punting on 10, because 11 through 13 are sort of the interlude between this whole section. And 11 through 13 talk really about that vertical relationship with Jesus and how partnership with Jesus is so important to survival. 
um, to making it through seasons of plenty and want. Um, but all of that is couched in the partnership between Paul and the Philippians. And in the very beginning, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. It was a choice that they made to revive their concern for Paul. The word revive is a word that is used when a tree or a bush blossoms. And it was funny, I was just reading this and one of our elders posted on Instagram and um, I hope he doesn't sue me because I didn't ask his permission. But uh, John Ewoki captured this, this blossoming well. So here's a post from his Instagram. Um, and um, I can't read it from there, I can read it from here. I'm seeing the red bud tree everywhere and with it the prospect of hope and hope of a new season. Do you see it? And I just thought, what a, what a wonderful way to press into this word, revive. That there's a blossoming here of something that had been missing. And it marks kind of a new season. And I'm just wondering, you know, as we come out of the pandemic and we come physically back together, um, we have this opportunity for something new to blossom. A new depth, a new, a new season for us. And that's really what Paul is capturing here. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Oh, Lord, would you help us to revive our concern for one another in the coming season? And then just one more verse on this subject. Verse 15. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, and, and probably what he means there is that in the early days of their receiving the gospel, um, when I left Macedonia, no church, this is where you get the choice thing. Like there were other churches that decided not to share, but the Philippians out of their generous hearts decided to share. No church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. So he commends them for the choice that they made. And, and what, is the, what is that choice? It's the choice to enter into this giving and receiving relationship one to another, right? And, and what I love about that verse is he includes the receiving, right? We oftentimes approach this kind of moment or this kind of call with a sense of, okay, I'll, I'll give. Let me be a giver. Sometimes it's easier, for, for some of you especially, it's easier to be a giver than a receiver, but guess what? If we're all givers, then we, the chain can't be connected. We have to be willing to receive. And, and receiving is kind of a humbling thing many times. Uh, but we have to be really willing to receive. See, that's the beautiful thing. Paul understands that. It's the giving. and He's given to them. He brought the gospel to them. That was wonderful giving. They received the gospel. Then as he went out to share the gospel in other towns, they supported him and they gave to him and he received their support. It's this exchange. That's what partnership, true part, genuine partnership looks like. And, and here's the point that I'm making in this part is that it's a choice. It's a choice. All these verses communicate that partnership is a choice. We have to choose to mix ourselves up in the business of our brothers and sisters. We get to walk away if we want. 
It's a choice. We have to choose to revive, right, that blossom word. We have to choose to revive our concern for one another. We have to choose to enter into a relationship where there's giving and receiving. That means we go out of our way to figure out, well, what does this person need and how can I give it to them? And then when somebody comes along and says, I think you need this, we're able to receive from them. It's a posture. It's a choice. I was noodling around with this in my mind and thinking about why don't we do this more? And, 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 and I think there are some elements of our modern context that become barriers to us in this incredible call to give and receive, to partner in this deeper way, this more beautiful, aromatic, atmospheric kind of way. Um, the absence, for example, of boundaries on our days um, and, the, and the presence that of, of technologies that make us always accessible to everybody, I think that these have an impact on us. They make us feel perpetually overwhelmed because we never know when the day is going to end. We're always available to everybody. There's no boundaries. And when, you, when, when somebody has no boundaries um, and they feel like they can constantly be uh, called upon, then what happens to us, we start to turn inward because we want to protect ourselves because we're afraid that if we say yes or we mix ourselves up in something, where will it end? And I will be continually spending myself. And so the, 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 the sense of always being on and always being accessible makes us feel like in the back of our minds we're, we're just overwhelmed. And so then we get protective and we close in. Somebody was telling me this week that at the beginning of the pandemic, people's work hours went way down. But as the pandemic has continued along, people have begun to work more and more and more hours, right? There's no boundaries. And the technology enables us to be always engaged. And wouldn't it be sad if we came out of the pandemic and we replaced the time that we might have spent entering into genuine partnerships of giving and receiving with the brothers and sisters around us, if we replace that with working more, wouldn't that be a sad, sad loss? Another thing that keeps us from entering into relationship, this quality of relationship, this deeper kind of relationship with one another, um, I think, is the torrent of news that we continually take in. And what does that do to our souls? Um, that makes us feel like the problems of the world are so overwhelming and so grand and so expansive that I'll never be able to make a difference. So why try? Why even try? I can't change it. Why even try? You know, we're not meant to be God. We're not to understand everything, event that's happening all around the world every day, which, which is sort of what we are doing in many respects. Because we can't handle that. We can't, we can't make a difference in that. We can't fix everything. And Paul cuts through you know, that sort of immobilizing tendency that comes from being acutely aware of, of all that's going on. He cuts through it. And he really gets to the heart of the issue. He gets to the heart of us as human beings. 
He says, he, he basically says, look, it's not the outcome that is most important. It's, it's the heart that's most important. You know, focus on, you know, whether or not you can solve all the problems. Focus on where is your heart. See, that's what he calls out. That's what he celebrates in the Philippians. Yeah, they're gonna, they sent a, a wonderful gift to him, and I'm sure it's going to help him. But he's going to be in need again, and they're not going to be able to meet all of his needs. Right? What he calls out and he celebrates in the Philippians in the gift that they've given is their heart. Their heart. Because Paul wants to keep, he wants, I think he wants all of us to have that focus. It, it's not, can you fix all the world's problems? It's what is your heart posture towards the, the needs of the people around you? That's much more manageable than thinking that we have to fix everything. So it's not about quantity. It's about motive. What's going on in your heart? And and here's the amazing thing. When we get that right, then we will be led into the things that the Lord has for us to do. Because he does want us to make a difference. He does want us to address the problems of this world. He does want us to improve the problems of this world. But not to be immobilized by feeling that we have full responsibility for them. He wants to cultivate in us a kind of a heart, a loving, sacrificial heart that enters into the opportunities that present themselves in the finite ways of our own unique lives and circumstances. Partnership is a posture. It's a choice. It's a posture of the heart. And then we go to this last point, and this is the really good news, is that God has gone out of his way to make the posture, the generous partnership posture, possible. He's made it possible for us to live in this way. Look in verse 19. And my God, I love how he says, and my God, because, you know, he's not trying to say, and my God, right? My God, hopefully you'll get it. He's trying to say, and my God, the one that you've seen take care of me through thick and through thin, through plenty and through want. That God, my God, right, who is so wonderful and awesome. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This posture of generosity towards each other, getting mixed up in each other's problems, involving ourselves in each other's lives, embracing genuine partnership is possible because the Lord stands behind us and supplies us with what we need to live generously. Generously with our time, generously with our talent, generously with our treasure. I love that framework, time, talent, and treasure. That's such a good way to think about what it is that we have to give anyway, right? Our God, my God, Paul says, stands behind you as you live generously to resupply you, to supply you, to to make up the difference of what you have lost. This this verse, um, you could sit with it for a while. It contains one of those Pauline phrases that's so layered in meaning that it kind of stretches your brain to make sense out of it. The Lord who has cared for Paul will supply our needs. Look, underline this phrase or highlight it, whatever you're doing. According to his riches in glory 
in Christ Jesus. Now untangle that one. I spent a little while working on it. And here's my best attempt. Probably not very good. But I'm going to even put it up on the screen for you so you can read along. Because I want this to kind of sink into your soul, your mind and your soul. So I think this is what he's saying in that phrase as I'm working through it. By putting our faith in Christ Jesus, we have access to the riches that flow from the eternal, God-sourced, and therefore unlimited glory that characterizes heaven. The same Lord who, out of these endless riches, cared for Paul in his need and enabled him to endure so much worldly suffering, providing for him all along as he had need. The same Lord, in fact, who provided for Christ in his deepest need, as he lay dead in the grave, by literally raising him up, this Lord will also provide for you as you have need, especially, taking into consideration the context of this passage, especially as your need is the result of having lived generously in partnership with your sisters and brothers in Christ. So, in other words, there's more than enough abundance available so that you don't have to fear living generously with one another. You don't have to be afraid of it because there's more than enough abundance in Christ so that if you give generously towards those with whom you are partnering, you will be cared for. And I think it starts, you know, one of the things that we can ask God for is love. If you forget that. Sometimes I forget that. This is, I think this is one of my personal areas of, I'm excited about this ongoing growth, is just to deepen this sense of whenever I see an image bearer, I want my very first reaction to them to be love. They're made in the image of God. That's amazing. There's nothing like this in all of creation. And I'm called to love. But you know what? I'm a sinful person who ends up getting selfish a lot of the time. And so I don't have the strength within me to love like that consistently. But guess what? The God of the universe is standing behind, waiting for me to draw on his supply of love so that I might love the person standing in front of me. It all starts with that, right? It starts with that kind of love. If you lack love, God will provide. And that's the seedbed out of which a generous life comes. And if you lack time because you've given of your time, then God stands behind you to provide. You ever, ever had that experience where you gave more than you thought you had in terms of your time. And you were very concerned about how you were going to make up for it. And maybe this one time you prayed, you said, God, help me. And God met you in that moment to give you what I would call, a, this is what I call these things, a divine shortcut when you most needed it. To be able to fulfill the obligations on your life because 
he was figuring out a way that you hadn't imagined before. Right? That's what Paul's talking about here. Or, or our talent. You know, sometimes we're called upon to give of our giftedness and our, uh, our unique personality, just uh, who we are. Um, and we give and maybe we feel like we've spent too much. Um, and our strength is gone. Right? Because we've been giving of our, of our talent, of our strength. And it's in that moment where God says, okay, I, I see what you've done there. Would you, would you just come to me and ask of me to strengthen you again, anew? To fortify you again for the next stage? I forget to do that. I spend myself and I'm tired And then I just think, oh, I guess that's it. I'll just have to live like this. When God is standing there just waiting for me to say, to say, oh, Lord, can you refill me? I need you. I've poured everything out to these people. I've poured everything out to this this person who is in need. I've poured everything out to my kids. I've poured everything out to my spouse. I poured everything out at work, and I, I just seem to have nothing left. And so I'll just lay down and be done. No, God. Would you resupply me with what I need? And then, of course, uh, it goes true for our treasure as well. We're called to be generous with our, with our treasure, with our finances, with what we have. And when we give to the church and we give to each other, when we give to the needs in our home group, we're pouring out. But let's not forget that the God of the universe is standing behind us in Christ to supply us with what we need. I was thinking about this. You know what the, the little Pez candy machine is? You know, it's, it's, a, it's a little plastic thing usually, although you can probably get like really fancy ones. And you open up the mouth and there's one little candy in the top. And if you take that one out, the next candy rises to the top. And, you know, God's supply for us is a little bit like a Pez dispenser. You see one... There's lots more beneath that you can't see. And you, you don't access the more until you remove the top one and spend it. And if you're so afraid that that's the only one and you never remove it, you'll never get the more that's below. But if you spend yourself, if you pull it out, what you'll find is the next one will rise up. And, and it, you know, the Pez ones are like this long. I mean, I guess God has an infinite Pez machine. And you keep expending and retra- extracting, and the next one rises up to fill its place. Additional time, additional talent, additional treasure to supply you. That's what Paul is saying. He knows, because he's experienced it in his life over and over again, that this God, Jesus Christ will supply every need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So let me just end with this question. Who is God calling you to mix it up with right now? Who's God calling you to make a choice to love with your time, treasure, and talent. Maybe it's, you know, as I say that, what I'm hoping is that the Holy Spirit is moving because the church is gathered. Even though we're gathered in our homes, Holy Spirit's moving, and somebody comes to your mind 
even as I ask that question. And just maybe that's a prompting of the Holy Spirit. This is the person that God's calling you today to make the choice to enter into a relationship of giving and receiving with. And maybe it starts with you giving. As we come back together, as we continue to pursue community in, in the ways that we're, it's being made available to us, I keep coming back to that word, revive. Would we revive our concern for each other in this next season? We're going to have a beautiful opportunity in this next season. As we come back together and we see each other, we get, the needs of one another are being made known more freely. Let's revive our concern. And let's be bold about it because standing behind us is the God who supplies are endlessly rich. And he will do all the, the backfilling that we need to live in genuine partnership together. So God, would you help us? Would you revive our concern for each other in this season? And, and maybe as we finish our study of this text, there are people in our minds, maybe it's that person in our home group or it's a child of ours or maybe it's a parent or maybe it's a, a co-worker or maybe um, there is somebody um, in our church that we have just heard about, a brother or sister in Christ who is in need. God, we want to be the kind of community that smells with the aroma of generosity. And so we're asking for boldness. We're asking for faith to trust that you will supply our needs. We're asking for spiritual freedom and breaking through barriers that keep us from living generously. God, would you, would you meet us, have your way with us, so that when the world looks in on us, they would see the contours of your heart manifesting in our community together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.